Hi, and welcome to Drafting Compliance. I'm Kane, he's Tom, and last week we talked with Matt Fryer of Infoblox. Today, we're talking about supply chain risks. But before we get to that, I wanna mention, we're sitting in the same room here in Austin, Texas, and we're in front of a live audience in front of our uh, first user conference ever, and we've got some beer. We do. What and are we drinking it, today, Tom? It looks like there's quite a bit of adoption happening in the crowd, too. So I'm excited about that because uh, I'm hoping we get some reactions out of the crowd, maybe some input as well. Today I'm drinking, I don't know what everybody else is drinking, but I'm drinking Austin Beer Works Fire Eagle American IPA. Fire Eagle, I, isn't that a song? Uh, not that I'm aware of. All right, it sounds like a but song it, title It could to me. be. Uh, maybe you could it's, write it. It's dripping. Um, yeah, that's happen? a good sign. I do want to just mention uh, this one hits. This is 7.3%. Oh, goody. So uh, those who are drinking that get a good start tonight. Um, I think the other options out there is like a Pilsner and a cider. So there's something for everybody. So everybody enjoy. I am going to crack this uh, beer. Yeah, we should yeah. definitely crack this. And uh, All right. Now, I, I love that we have a smaller glass today, Tom. I'm, I usually can't fit mine <laughs> yeah. in a glass, but I don't think I'll drink this, this much This could be anyway. a Dixie cup, and you still wouldn't get through it. <laughs> oh, come on now. I get through the top eighth of an inch at least. Uh, this has got an aroma, doesn't it? I can smell it from here. Right. Well, I, I'll be honest. For an IPA, it's, it's got a lot of clarity, so that surprises me right you off know, the bat. You know, I can see people through this. That's yeah, kind it, of amazing. It almost looks uh, like an American lager. Um, so that's a surprise to me. Usually IPAs have a little bit more haze to it. So it's getting a little bit of an orangish look too, especially yeah. up here, right? I would also guess this is probably the West Coast variety. Oh, uh, that uh, smells delicious, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, oh that immediately has some welcoming aroma, some hoppy aroma. I don't know. This kind of smells to me like my teenage years, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Well, I, I was right. always putting deodorant on in my teenage years, so I didn't okay. have that problem. Before Axe body spray was a thing. Yeah. Man, I mean, this, this is promising. This has a lot of character just in the nose. I mean, I'm smelling citrus, a little bit of mango, maybe. I can get the mango out of there, actually. Yeah. Didn't we do a mango beer? And it was just, I think we did. I think terrible. you uh, equally hated that one. So, <laughs> so uh, is anybody else drinking this? Should we, should we try it? All right. Uh, cheers to the audience. Let's we'll see how this one goes. Mm. Yeah. Oh, this oh, is that's... delicious for sure. This has the um, the typical IPA bite to it, so you get a lot of coating of the tongue, a lot of like hop stick in there. You know, this is not as bad as the other ones that where you've said it coats my tongue. This is not thankfully mm. like sticky on my tongue, which yeah, is nice. Yeah, it definitely doesn't bite you for another drink though, does it? <laughs> it invites you for another drink. Although I always give these a, a two tests on the show just to see how it goes. But oh, and it's, it's got more a nice like front hang of to tongue it. as opposed to back of tongue. I agree You're not with getting that. a lot of like Yeah. I a, do get the the mango flavor and a bit of citrus on it. Also some um Kind of like baking spice, or what are those, uh, grains of paradise. Mm, I'm That's... so proud right now. You've, you've really tasted it. Um, I mean, it's not just pure disgust. I mean, I think we can all recognize the evolution and the maturity that's happening here on stage. This is, this is actually really good. Like, I'm impressed. I wasn't, I wasn't thinking that we were going to have uh, this much quality in, in this beer. So, All right. Well, before I... Take off 7.3%, we should talk about. Oh, no, I think you should just do the whole thing and then we'll do some FedRAMP questions. <laughs> but today's topic today is uh, FedRAMP, Tom. So, for our yes, audience sir. here, what is supply chain risk under FedRAMP? 
And how does it vary from how CISOs normally think about supply chain risks? Yeah, so with the Rev5 release of FedRAMP, a whole new control family called supply chain risk came in uh, to really the umbrella of, of FedRAMP in general. It's all about how you handle risk in your supply chain as it affects your FedRAMP boundary. But the second half of your question, how does it sort of change the thinking of CISOs? CISOs in general should be thinking about this anyway. So it shouldn't be a big surprise. Certainly if we look at the history starting with maybe Target in 2013, uh, solar winds, read your headlines today. Um, supply chain risk is a real risk and it should be things that CISOs are thinking about pretty regularly and I guarantee those that are in the room that have this responsibility, they are thinking about it. So this is really the federal government catching up to where CISOs are thinking anyway. All right, and so then how does FedRAMP Moderate really address the challenges of supply chain risks for cloud service providers? Yeah, it's an interesting thing. So in 2021, President Biden released ONA's executive order. Yeah, the EO. Yeah. 14,017, I think. And if I got that right, I haven't had enough beer, but <laughs> I'm pretty sure I got that right. Um, so, <laughs> hand it over. So, really with that, he mandated the fact that we have to, as a federal government, be more responsive to supply chain risk. We have to do a better job of assessing that risk and responding to that risk. FedRAMP Moderate is really taking on and building from that, from that directive, and it's really saying what are the best practices in supply chain. Um, really starts with NIST. NIST released it first, but uh, FedRAMP adopted it. So this is just the best practices around what we can do to mitigate our risk in supply chain. All right, and so how do those, um, the FedRAMP approach vary in terms of best practices from what we've seen in the commercial sector? Is there anything differentiated or specific that makes it federal as opposed to just commercial? Sure. The, the piece that makes it federal is the prescriptive nature of it, right? So we, we see that CISOs have largely put in vendor management programs, have largely started to adopt things like, hey, we've got to review a breach report, uh, a, re a, a breach stance, a DPA maybe, uh, perhaps they're collecting SOC 2, but those are sort of checkmark pieces of vendor management. What the federal government is mandating is you actually take a very proactive approach to assessing risk, and it has some pretty wild requirements that I think most organizations are not doing today, and we'll talk about some of those in a bit. All right, fantastic. And if you're enjoying the show on YouTube, uh, please do ring the bell to get notifications about my quest to find an actually tolerable beer. Or subscribe to us in your podcast app of choice to listen along and make this part of your monthly routine. So, Tom, what specific uh, controls are in place in FedRAMP Moderate to mitigate risks related to the software supply chain? Yeah, there's quite a few. So the easy one to understand is you just have to have a program that pulls in all of the content associated with those vendors and assesses the risk. So whether it's data you collect personally or whether it's data that is publicly available, you have to be pulling those data sources in and assessing it for all your vendors. This especially applies to software where you are actually attaching to your boundary with somebody who's transferring data back and forth, right? So it, of course, also co-mingles into a bunch of controls you already have. So perhaps you have a, well, you should have, if you're in FedRAMP, a configuration management control, a vulnerability management control in place. This really marries in tightly with that, um, with, those, with those additional plans that you have in place, and helps you assess um, supply chain in terms of the holistic approach you're taking to assess risk in general in your program. All right, and I also recently saw something about um, NIST putting out a hardware um, supply chain security risk management 
Uh, it's not fully baked yet, but has that been incorporated yet into FedRAMP? There's some really general um, ideas around that that you have to, so the one that I, I, I really think uh, enterprises are gonna struggle with is you have to be able to detect tampering in hardware. Mm. And so if, I imagine like interdiction, for example, where somebody catches something while it's in transit and modifies the chipset. It's kind of like happened in, that's right. uh, wasn't it Forbes, it was uh, Bloomberg, right? That thing yeah. about the thing, the tip the size of a pencil tip? Yeah, it was actually, uh, I have a picture of it somewhere. It was the size of a grain of rice right. that was put on chipboards, and that was a temporary. So, so you tell me how enterprises are going to um, you know, detect that level of tampering. It, it's going to be a challenge, and it's going to require probably some services to spin up that help organizations uh, comply with it. So it's an interesting one. Yeah, it certainly is going to be a, a challenging one for cloud service providers, just given the volume of chips that they're purchasing as well as other hardware. Well, and it's certainly a nod to some of our foreign competitors in terms of folks that are largely thought of as, as bad actors in that space, and I won't name any names here, but the, you guys can <coughs> China. think of some of them. Yeah, <laughs> Rhymes with Mina, but uh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're known to have put uh, backdoors into hardware, and that's another thing you have to look for is is vulnerabilities inside your hardware and your software for backdoors, things that are not um, supposed to be there, and you're supposed to be able to detect them. So again, most enterprises do not have that capability. That's really a, a red team capability that a lot of organizations just simply don't have. All right, and I know that you said that FedRAMP is fairly prescriptive. So what are the required steps for vendors to report a supply chain-related incident uh, when we're operating under FedRAMP moderate? Well, obviously, we talked a little bit about how it integrates with other pieces of your, of your security framework. Vulnerability management is a piece of that framework that um, is a part of continuous monitoring with FedRAMP. This marries directly into it. So if you find a vulnerability, you have to report it through that. You, you also have to put it on your POAM, so you're tracking and, and you're understanding the timeline for your risk mitigation associated with it. There isn't a special reporting mechanism associated with FedRAMP just for supply chain. They're expecting you to marry it into your existing Kanban. One other thing that's sort of interesting is the notification uh, requirements around it also extend to your vendors. So you have to have specific agreements with all of your vendors to make sure they notify you if they have a vulnerability or a known threat within their own stack. So suddenly you've, you've pushed out uh, uh, your program to another step that you have previously probably had built into your program. And are there associated timelines? I know we've heard things like the SEC saying y'all need to get it within four days of materiality determination. We've heard other things about a two-day determination notification window. Does FedRAMP go to that level of detail when there is an incident? And I suppose it's a two-part question. Is there a materiality component, or is it literally anything that happens? No, there's, and, a material, there's okay, definitely there a materiality is. piece of it. So, it, it, again, it's going to marry right back into your existing vulnerability management program. So mm -hmm. if you find it and you consider it critical, you're going to have a much higher threshold that you have to hit than if you consider it a low, right? So I think four days is is the, the critical level. Mm -hmm. I'd have to go back and refer to notes, but um, think of like a 4, 30, 90, 180 sort of timeline, depending on the severity of it. Um, again, you're going to have visibility all the way up to your agency in the federal government. So this is not something you're going to want to sit on. Right. And now you just mentioned an interesting point there around agencies. So um, as a cloud service provider, how are agencies actually validating 
uh, security stance of a cloud service provider's supply chain, not just them, but their entire supply chain under FedRAMP moderate? Yeah, I would say this is an area that's a little bit flux. So this is a brand new control family and, and folks have not yet figured out how all of the bits and pieces of logistics are gonna to work out, but we can make some assumptions, right? We can assume that early on as, as companies are going through maybe their, their latest annual assessment or their initial assessment, 3PAOs are gonna spend way more time looking at this control family because it's new. Mm -hmm. So they're gonna, they're gonna learn through that process as well. So they're gonna start to create what is their list of best practices. And those folks do talk. So it will become ubiquitous through the 3PAO sort of ecosystem. So that's kind of the first piece of it. But you're also gonna see annual assessments that say, are you doing what you say you did from a control perspective? Mm -hmm. You're gonna report on your vendor list just like you do any other configuration list that you have. They're just another member of your configuration management database. Okay, and that's gonna probably also spin off a bunch of documentation. So um, what type of documentation is gonna be required to prove compliance with supply chain risk management given that it's so new under FedRAMP moderate? Yeah, documentation is really sort of the backbone of FedRAMP, right? So like any other control family, you're going to have a policy, you're going to have process. With this control family, you're going to have an actual plan, which has a little different uh, connotation than, than process or procedure does in, underneath FedRAMP, so it's going to have more meat to it. But then underneath all that, you're going to have all of these controls that you've deemed that you're going to be performing on a continuous basis, right? you're going to have to have documentation that proves you're doing it. Just like any other control, but sometimes um, with uh, third-party risk, you're dealing with other people's inputs. So you don't necessarily control the timeline as, as minutely as you do with your own environment. So you, you have to be careful to be um, on top of your vendors to provide you that same level. But again, underneath the FedRAMP moderate um, umbrella, everybody in your in your authorization boundary should also be at that same level. So they should understand that requirement just like you have, they have it. Okay, fantastic. Well, I think at this point we, we've hit that point in the show where we need to talk about our beers um, and evaluate how well. I, I can't help but notice, Tom, you have not drank nearly so much. Well, it isn't because I haven't enjoyed it. It's been really good. Um, I did have a second pour out of my glass. Uh, so you can have another pour out of mine as well. I'm just going to finish I've pretty much got off. a whole one right here. <laughs> Um, you know what? It's always fun to hear your take on it. So, Well, I always like to see how these things change over time after they've been exposed to air and had a chance to uh, breathe a little bit to see if the... That is a thing. If it does the nose change... I'm getting banana now. It's kind of got a that, banana... That again could be that whole deodorant. Oh, okay. That's your new deodorant smell. Okay, fantastic, Tom. He smells like a banana. Yeah. Mm. Um, and something else fruity in there as well. I mean, it's not an unpleasant smell on the nose at this point. Again, it was a little bit gross. sharp out of. The, <laughs> it's a little bit sharp out of the can. Yeah, it definitely doesn't have the bite that it had on the nose. Yeah, I can still just I just smell sort of like the hop character in it. So, I'm having it's it's gotten pretty faint, so it's hard to really um, give detail behind it. But the the flavor still has opened up quite a bit in my opinion. And we'll give it another go, and then we'll rate it on our ten point scale. You know, on a, on a second drink, I get some malt out of that. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, it's got a pucker factor now. Does, it, does I anybody not else taste that? Are, are you tasting a little bit of malt on the backside now? I am. Again, Which surprises just, me in an IPA. This is just taking me back to my uh, misspent teenage years where Old English was a uh, fine mm. beer of choice. 
<laughs> so uh, now, do, do, I re do you want to review first, or should I review first? No, you first? go ahead. Okay, I can, okay, so this is not the most offensive thing I've drank. Nice. Um, this is also not the best thing. I think the highest I've given on this show so far has been a four or a five, and the five? lowest that I've given yeah. is a two. Yeah. Uh, this is kind of feeling like a three to me. Three? It's mm. a three. It's not terrible. Um, I wouldn't recommend it to people, actually, that I like. Uh, actually, I would, <laughs> don't think I'd recommend it to people I don't like. Uh, but again, this is um, Fire Eagle American IPA from Austin, Texas. So, so you're giving it a three. I'm giving it a three out of ten. So this is a West Coast IPA. It has a lot of hop character up front. It's not super balanced with like a citrus flavor on the other side of it. So um, I really like the citrusy IPAs a lot. But I like West Coast, too but I'm not gonna give it uh, the highest score because um, I like the, the citrusy ones better. I oh, really so like some of the- down in the ratings then. I, I like some of the complexity that's happening on the backside of this now. Like I think it's interesting to taste hop up front and malt on the back. So I always give points for character. So I'm gonna give this probably a six. A six, boy, yep. this one's gonna rank low though. Yeah, I mean, uh, again, if it, were, if it were a hazy IPA, I'd probably give it like an eight. I can see that. Um, but again, it's, it's very drinkable. Like, I think you would agree on that. It's just, it, it's, I would it's, agree you can drink this. It's inviting me back. So, you know, I might even have a second can. Why not? It's only 7.3%. Uh, but no, I, I, I think it's a good beer. Does anybody else want to give their, anybody else have a, Peter, do you have an opinion? What, what do you think? Hearing a yeah, seven from seven. the audience. I feel like we're at the Olympics now. We need to have those cards that we hold up for diving. You, you, you gentlemen right back there drinking it. What do you think? What's your opinion? Okay. Oh, nice. So we're hearing from a local, repping their local, saying yeah. it's about an eight. Yeah, I, okay, I, that's I feel like out. it gets a point and a half just because you're local. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> what, what about you, gentlemen? Five, yeah. We're in a five from the middle table. Yeah. So again, losing a point because you're a Dallas kid, not a <laughs> not an Austin person. So, yeah, I get it. All right, very good. Well, I again, I hope I can share a beer with you all here shortly. I think it's pretty good. Yep, but for, for the main recording now, that's all for today. So if you think you know of a beer that I'll like, or if you have a FedRAMP question, uh, please do drop it in the comments below. And remember to like our LinkedIn and YouTube pages to hear our live interview with information security professionals.